Hey guys, um, so it's great to be continuing in our Revolution Has Begun series, looking in the book of Ephesians today. I've personally really enjoyed this series because I, I just love the book of Ephesians. I love any of Paul's letters. I read them regularly. I just enjoy them. And I think just what this, you know, what this series is trying to do is reflect on a revolution that begun with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't like a, an armed rebellion. It wasn't a military uprising. No government was overthrown of it. It was a very unusual, unexpected revolution. Much like Jesus was the Messiah no one was expecting. They were waiting for the great war hero. Instead, they got the loving servant who came to die, not come to overcome. In much the way the revolution that came after his life was one that came to see people join together to see people feel loved, to see great compassion, to see people set free from their slavery to their sin and to their condemnation of death and hell forever. It saw slaves and slave masters worshipping under the same roof. It saw the richest and the poorest come together. It saw the sick and the healthy be together in the same place. It saw people of different races, different tribes, different tongues worshipping together in cities like Ephesians. Totally revolutionary revolution <laughs> in itself. It was not one that pitted one group against another but a revolution that said Jesus Christ is the saviour of the world and he's come for you. And one that opened its doors to anyone who would hear the message. Do you know what? It's a revolution we still see going on today in many parts of the world, countries like China and much of the Middle East where you cannot openly be a Christian. We see Christianity thriving because in the face of death and persecution, people are saying, I love my neighbour so much that I couldn't bear the idea of them going to hell. I'd rather die than not share the gospel with them. And so therefore the gospel spreads like wildfire. But in places where I live in the, in the West, it can feel like the revolution's dying. Do you know, because actually our comfort, fear of persecution and generally not persecution of death but persecution of maybe someone speaking against you you know maybe not being popular not having the things that this life could offer you wealth money power it can because people have been fearful of that and no longer pursue Jesus have chosen other things over it can feel like the revolution's dying but it isn't it just isn't but God is calling the church to wake up. He is calling a fresh revolution and a fresh revival in all places for us to say we are sons and daughters of the living God and it's him we're going to pursue and it's for his people we want to see saved until the day that we're with him forever. And so we have been looking through the book of Ephesians, which explores all these themes. Ephesians starts with saying, who are you in Christ? Look at what you've got. You, are, you know about Jesus because he chose before creation to let him know. He predestined you to know him. We talked about this adoption into sonship, that the inheritance that belongs only to Jesus Christ has been given to us freely as a gift we talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit that, that God has guaranteed your salvation, your inheritance, by the seal of the Holy Spirit. And that means you are full of the Spirit. You partner with the Spirit. You're not alone in this walk. Paul then goes on to start telling us in the later chapters 
of Ephesians, where we are now, how then should we live? Because if we've really truly give, been given this gift of salvation and we know it and we're living for it, surely our lives cannot look the same as they did before? Or they cannot look the same as those who do not live for Jesus? So Paul then instructs us, here's then what you must look like. He gives us instructions for Christian living. Phil last week talked us through um, what he has to say about us at home. How do we be Christians at home? How do we serve God in our, within our families, in our homes, whatever that context looks like for us? And today, I want to look at what God has to say to us about being a Christian at work. Because it's so easy for us to just get caught in our Sundays, isn't it? For a certain person, our Sundays or whatever day it is you attend church, to be a certain way there, but something totally different in our nine to five, in our workplaces, whatever it is consumes most of your week. And Paul has got a lot to say. So let's continue in the passage then. So we continue from where Phil left off. We're in Ephesians 6. So if you open your Bibles there. And it'll be Ephesians 6, verse 5 to verse 9. It's a short bit of passage, but a lot to expand and look at. So Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So, I think it's helpful here to understand the context that Paul is speaking into. So Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. And uh, the church in Ephesus at that time, uh, well, Ephesus is a, is a big city um, in the Roman Empire. It's under Roman control. And Ephesus um, is a real kind of mixed bag of, of different people together in one city, very cosmopolitan, very multicultural. And particularly, there is a large divide, as in many of the Roman cities, between slaves and free. And the Roman Empire, um, when they would go and invade a place or a city or a town, who they didn't kill, they would generally maybe enslave. And they would bring it to slavery. So Ephesians was a city full of that. It probably had around about 200,000 freed people as part of the town, but around 400,000 slaves. So people were massively, uh, there were many more slaves than there were free people in Ephesus. And actually to be a slave master, you would have been very, very wealthy. There were some rules around how you own a slave. A slave is part of your household, so therefore you had to pay their taxes. And you also had to um, clothe them, feed them, look after them as you'd hope. But they were the rules around it. So therefore you had to have some, uh, quite a lot of wealth. So you're talk Paul is talking to Two groups of people in very different parts of society in Ephesus. But what's amazing is that he is talking to both sets of people. That suggests the church in Ephesus was full of slaves who had given their life to Jesus, who had heard the good news and thought, this is good news. But it was also full of slave masters who had heard the good news of the gospel and thought, I want to find this out and work this out. So Paul is instructing both, going, there is now a way that you operate that's different than what was before. 
Paul at no point says in any of his letters that slavery is okay. At no point does he condone it. But I think some people struggle because he never quite seems to condemn it. <laughs> but you see, we have to read carefully what Paul says in all of his letters. Paul's motivation and attitude to life is very different than most of us. See, Paul himself here in this passage says that we are slaves to Christ and so often refers to himself as a slave to Christ. Paul has lost his physical freedom many times for the gospel. We have to remember that a lot of his letters are written from his prison cell where he declares God is good, the only one worth following. He declares his life belongs to the Lord and only the Lord. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. He reflects that one day he will be in heaven with God and that is his only hope. He knows he will have that. So this life is broken, but therefore only for us to serve Jesus in if we know him. And therefore it should be for seeking the lost and helping them know him. And then one day our suffering will be over and we'll be with him forever. So Paul writes very differently than how we might expect him to, because he even writes in, in, um, in 1 Corinthians, the letter he wrote to Corinthians, he, he writes directly to slaves and said, were you, a slave? were you a slave when you found Christ? If you were, then so be it. He teaches them, serve God in where you are. But he does say to them, if you can buy your freedom, then do. He doesn't say you have to stay in your position. He says, no, if you can get out of your situation to a better one, then do. But don't, let, don't be um, spiritually chained down by your situation. No, thrive in it. Serve God in it. And you have a hope of something greater to come. This is Paul's constant message. And so I think he has a lot here to say to us. Do you know? Slavery, let me be clear, slavery has never been good. And it is not good. Slavery is a bad thing. We should not have slaves. You should not have slaves. You should never have been a slave. Sadly, in our society, it is more prevalent now, modern day slavery. There are more people in slavery now than have ever been in any culture or any society. It's horrendous. In my country, only this week, a slave trade ring was uncovered with 400 people that had been kept as slaves, promised a better life in the UK. You know, I found it horrible thinking that should be gone in my culture, yet sadly it isn't. It's never okay. The crimes, the atrocities that were committed, well, the shame is what they weren't crime during the African slave trade. When slavery, it was legal to own an African person, man or woman, from their country to take them, to sell them, to trade in them. It's horrendous. It's never been okay. So Paul certainly doesn't justify it. He just says the gospel is good news for you, whoever you are. And I've been doing a bit of reading in the uh, lead up to preparing this. Um, I actually started looking at, there's been some amazing books written by um, people that escaped slavery during the African slave trade. And there's a couple of them. They're worth reading to understand from their own stories what their experiences were. Um, they're never easy reads. They shouldn't be. They're, they're talking of their experiences and it's horrible. Um, but one in particular I've been reading, um, it's by a woman called Harriet Jones. She wrote it in 1860. She was a, um, a slave for a long time and escaped and then eventually was given freedom. 
And she writes of her experience. It's a difficult read, but well worth reading. Um, in, her, in her book, Incidents of a Slave Girl. And her, her whole reflection, so she found Jesus. She was raised a Christian. Her, her grandmother had become a Christian. And she reflects that actually so many slaves did become Christians during that time because there was something wonderful about the news of the gospel. They were being told as black African slaves that they were of less value than of their white slave owners, that they were less than human. And that's how they could be traded as a commodity. And yet the gospel would tell them that God made all people equal, that he made them in his image. Whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever your, um, the color of your skin, they were made equal. And that God has equally died for all the people who will call on his name, regardless of who you are. And so she reflects on what good news this is in her culture. In one of the stories, she says um, there was a moment where she was describing a, a white woman jeering at the bedside of a slave who was dying while giving birth to her master's illegitimate child. And she was saying there is no heaven for the like of her and her bastard child, just mocking her, abusing her. But Harriet Jacob reflects that the woman responded calmly, saying, God knows all about this and he will have mercy on me. In this situation, her faith allowed her to respond to these appalling insults of a calm resolvent to meet her death with tranquility because she knew where she was going. But, so Harriet reflects on what the good news the gospel was for her and her friends and all the other people that were um, in these appalling situations. But she also reflects on the massive hypocrisy she would see the contradictions she would see. She was often taught um, the gospel by her slave masters and just couldn't quite work out if they quite knew what they were saying. There's one moment she reflects in her book. She says, My mistress had taught me the precepts of God's word. I've changed the quote. She quotes from the uh, King James Version. I, c- I can never quite understand the old English, so um, I hope it's okay, but I've just changed it to NIV. Watch the verses she's quoting. She says, my mistress had taught me the precepts of God's word. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and prophets. She's reflecting Jesus' teachings on what is the most important thing we should do as Christians. When Jesus is asked directly, what are the greatest commandments to follow? He says, well, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul. Give everything to God. But the second has to then be love your neighbor. Jesus is rife with teaching love your neighbor. And Jesus teaches them to much controversy that your neighbor is anyone, especially your worst enemy or those you view as less than or your employee. But she reflects to this. She 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 reflects that as her mistress is teaching her to do everything, love your neighbor as you love yourself. She's saying, but this didn't stop my mistress leaving me to the flints in her will rather than setting me free, which plunged her into decades of turmoil 
and left her to say, but I was her slave. So I suppose she did not recognize me as her neighbor. Jacob's insight, Harriet Jacob's insight is so simple, yet it's so profound. (laughs) She recognizes a deep disconnect between our faith and often then what we practice. That left her outside as less than a human being made in the image of God. Somehow lower, not equal to her white slave masters. Yet she knew herself from what she's read, from what she knows, from her relationship with God. She knew herself that she had been created by a loving God and was fully human. She understood and claimed her place as a neighbour, which left her so often to call out the hypocrisy then in what she saw from her slave masters. Her next master, Dr. Flint, was a horrendous man, but he would go to church and seem like a great upstanding citizen, would give generously to the offering, would seem like a great man and would come home in the week and treat his owned slaves to start with, but then would treat them appallingly. And she received much abuse at the hands of Dr. Flint. Now, of course, and I, I hope none of us ever own slaves or have done. You know, it is illegal now and we wouldn't want to be involved in that. And I'm glad we live in a time now where although it's actually worse than it's ever been, generally it's internationally recognised as wrong in most countries. But you might be a boss. You might be an employer. You might be a team leader or you might be a um, foreman or you might be a CEO, a business owner, a managing director and you have employees. Well, Paul is speaking to you here as well. How do you reflect God's glory and how you treat your employees? Do you always seek their best? No matter who they are or what they're doing, Do you put their interests above your own? Do you even make decisions that might benefit them more than they'll benefit yourself? Actually, how you treat the people in your workforce, do you glorify God in how you respond to them? Because that is what Paul is talking about here in this scripture. When he's talking to the slave masters, he is saying be counter-cultural in how you love and serve your slaves. Do not treat them as lower than you because God doesn't. They have made equally to you. They are your equal. And in heaven, they will be your equal. And how you treat them on earth, you will be judged for when you stand before Jesus. So how are you as a boss? How will you be this week? Are you at church as a wonderful person, but you know, yet you know you're a bully in the workplace? You know you put people down, you know you mock people, you know you make decisions that benefit you more than it benefits them. Honestly, ask yourself that this week. How can I serve them in a way that will glorify God and allow me to be Christ to them? And to, you know, if you're an employee, You've got to ask yourself, how do I go this week and serve and glorify God? Because I know what you'll say. I know everyone will kind of say in this. But Dan, you don't understand. You don't know Jim at work, mate. (laughs) He's an idiot. (laughs) 
He's just terrible at what he does. He's lazy and he's a right pain. Do you know? Or you don't know Carol, Dan. She's a bully. She is mean. She's horrible to me. She's a nasty piece of work. How can I love her? It is surely not God's will for me to love her. Look, Dan, you do not know my boss. They are mean. They put me down. I have no opportunities in this workplace. This isn't where I saw myself being. I don't think I should be here. My boss is horrible to me. I think I deserve better. Don't get me wrong. I get all of that. And also, don't mishear what I'm saying. When Paul speaks to the slaves in Corinthians, he does say to them, if you can be free, then do. If your workplace is crushing you and destroying you and you have a way out, then leave, honestly. Go, don't let it crush you. Life's too short to keep working in somewhere that we hate. But his lesson is still the same, in which he says to slaves, obey your earthly masters, respect them and fear them. Employees, he's speaking to you as well, respect your bosses as you would obey Christ. Work as if Christ is watching you, not as if your bosses. Serve your workplace for the glory of the kingdom of God, because it's for that kingdom that you are working for. Because I tell you, you will take nothing with you to heaven but that the people that know Jesus because of the way you lived your life. Do you know, before I worked for a church, I'd done a couple of different jobs. And I haven't been a Christian, all of them. And um, one in particular, though, the, the job I had before I started working for the church, I, uh, I'd just been saved before I started working it. And do you know, I was determined. I'd um, gone a bit of a journey with God where God really opened my eyes to that the majority of people around me are going to hell. And that's not good. And he totally changed me because there were people I didn't like, yet he showed me yet they're going to hell. There's people I thought I was better than, yet he said, but Dan, you are a sinner as much as they are. You want to be equal, Dan? Well, you are equal in sin. (laughs) The only reason I'm going to heaven is because of what Jesus done for me on the cross. So therefore, I've got to have that same compassion Jesus had on me for anyone, whoever I come across. And he gave me this deep sense of brokenness for the lost. You have to ask Jesus to do that for you. Honestly, say to God, God, will you break my heart for what breaks yours? As a way of stop living for yourself, say, Lord, help me live for you. And watch how it changes your your week at work this week or your interactions this week. Because suddenly you realize how you are no better than anyone else that is around you, but yet they're going to hell and actually there's a desperateness that they can't be the case and they must go to heaven. And it will particularly change your heart towards those you really get along with at work. The ones you really love, your good work colleagues, your friends, or your school friends, or whoever you're going to be with this week, when you realize, however good they are, they're not good enough to save themselves and are going to hell unless they know Jesus. So how are you going to act this week? So when I prayed that, God started changing my attitude towards work. I started this new place and thought, do you know what? Whatever I get out of this place in terms of money or promotion or popularity, great. But my first and primary purpose in this workplace is to be ambassador of the kingdom of God. I want to go and let people know about Jesus in some way. And I didn't know how to do that. I hadn't shared my faith much. I didn't even know much of the Bible. So I started by just reading my Bible on my lunch break. Because I've got an hour. I'm only going to sit there, eat my lunch and watch YouTube or something. So I thought I might as well read my Bible because I want to get to know the Bible more anyway. So 
here's an hour I can give to reading it. But also it just allows me big open plan office with 200 people around to be very open about my faith. And I had some amazing conversations about what I was reading with people. Because people were curious. They wanted to know more. They just didn't know what they could ask. And so I started being able to talk to them about what I was reading. I didn't have to know the entire Bible. I just needed to know what I was reading. And it was good because I just read it. <laughs> so I could talk to them about what I just read and what I understood from that. We had good conversations about who Jesus is. Do you know, I, um, I worked with a lot of people from the LGBTQ community. A lot of people identified um, in one way or another in that community. And I was a bit nervous about sharing, my gospel, uh, like sharing the gospel there, sharing my faith there, because I thought people might not like me for it. I thought people might um, immediately hate me. I wouldn't be that popular. But I just thought I'm going to be open with whoever talks to me. They're all lovely people. We've had good chats. So why wouldn't I be open about my faith as well? Um, they're open, you know, they're open with me about how they um, live their lives and what they're passionate about. So I want to be open with them. And very quickly, what I realised was, as much as I thought they might hate me because I'm a Christian, they thought I'll hate them because I'm a Christian. <laughs> and through chatting with, um, through chatting with them, I realised very quickly that actually they don't hate the church. They just really think the church hates them. And I suddenly realized, man, how much of this hypocrisy still lives in our culture? While we might not, um, as Christians, try and justify slavery as they did there in the American slave trade, um, and I'm sure in the UK as well, um, we still justify pushing people out and seeing people as lower than us or seeing people as somehow unavailable to the kingdom of God. We somehow look at the sinner and judge them. Where Jesus specifically teaches us, don't hate the sinner, hate the sin. Because remember, you are a sinner. <laughs> and Jesus didn't hate you and doesn't. And that changed the way I was in the workplace. It meant actually I was always seeking, how can I love people? How can I serve people? It meant I chatted with my, one of my friends. She was a lesbian and we had a long chat about her experience of church, horrible experience of church and rejection. And so her idea of Jesus, this horrible perception of Jesus as the, um, you know, is not accepting of all. And actually it's just a hateful religion. But in order to share with her, no, Jesus died for her as much as he did for me. That God died for the sinner and hates the sin. And it will mean change for all of us. If, you, if your life hasn't changed since following Jesus, you've got to question if you're following him. <laughs> but that God's love is available for all and he's worth the change. Paul is so specific through all his teachings that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to Christ if we're following him. You have to understand you are never free in this life. You are either a slave to sin and this world and maybe to money, to wealth, to power, to whatever it is that will chain you to this world that is dying and will die. Or you're a slave to Christ and he is your master and he is the one you've given your life to. And your life belongs to him. So therefore you want to serve him. You cannot have it both ways. If Christ isn't the whole of your life, you may not be following him. I would argue very strongly that these slave masters, 
that Harriet Jacobs was uh, talking about and describing, who claimed to be Christians, I would very strongly argue that they were probably not Christians at all. It's not my place to decide that. It's between God and them. But they certainly didn't live as one. And so we have to ask ourselves how we conduct ourselves outside of these moments. Do we reflect the glory of God? Are we slaves to Christ and pursuing him? Is he our whole lives? And are we then ambassadors for him in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, in wherever God sends us throughout the week? Is your life lived solely for him and for his kingdom to come now? Holding on to the promise that one day it will all be over. And we will be living with him in perfection, totally free. And free from the pains of this world. It's up to you what you do next. I can't tell you. But I can challenge you. That Jesus is so worth it. And if it's not about seeing people come to glory and be part of his kingdom, then what is this life about? <laughs> Let me pray for you. Jesus, Lord, I thank you for that day when you totally convicted me of how much you love your creation, all of them, Lord, that there is no difference, whether whatever our background, whatever our upbringing, whatever our culture, whatever our race, whatever our gender, Lord, you love us all equally and you created us equally, Lord. Lord, you taught me to love the sinner just as you love me, Lord. To hate the sin in my own life, Lord. But to want to show them you. And that transformed the way I worked. It transformed the way I lived. And Lord Jesus, I, I pray for everyone listening today, Lord that you transform our work weeks, Lord. You transform our hearts towards those we work with, towards those we work for, Lord Jesus, to the place we call work, Lord. Whether that's our education, our employment, whatever it is, Lord. Will you give us a fresh attitude to serve your kingdom in it, Lord? Will you allow us to truly surrender our lives to you that we're no longer at what we can gain for ourselves, but how can we serve others for the glory of your kingdom, Lord? Will you let us live radically different lives? Will you let those that are in a place of power and authority in the workplace, will you let them live this week in such a way that lets, them know, lets their employees know how much you love them because of how unself-seeking they are, Lord? And will you let those that are employees serve their bosses and their workplaces as if they were serving you Lord let us go and be the best employees that our society knows because our master <laughs> is the Lord Jesus Christ the living God it's not anyone on earth let us glorify you this week and all the weeks to come until we're with you in glory I pray that in Jesus name Amen